you, Mark. And uh, you may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, you can grab them. And uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2-ish. That just means we're going to get a running start into uh, Philippians chapter 2. I just want to add my own happy Mother's Day. Uh, It's great to have moms in the room, and I hope you have a great day today. And uh, I know that Mother's Day is complicated uh, for some. Uh, There's pain and sorrow involved in that, and there's uh, just, you know, disconnection in our world between mothers and children and uh, disappointment with mothers, and so we just want to be sensitive to that. We, we also know that Mother's Day brings out a, a sense of loss if you've lost your mom, and uh, this morning we just think of the Borvig, Borvig family. Uh, Gail Borvig passed away uh, yesterday morning, early yesterday morning, and so uh, we can just be remembering the Borvig family and uh, their kids. Um, I spoke with Paul uh, both Friday and yesterday, saw Gail on Friday and prayed with her, and uh, she was ready to see Jesus. And so in that, we can rejoice, and uh, there is a sense of loss still and a sense of grief, and yet we know that she's alive and well and free of pain. And uh, Paul was ready for that. Paul was anticipating that, and uh, um, he's in in good spirits as he grieves because he grieves as one who has a real sense of hope that this is not the end, uh, but really a glorious new beginning for Gail. And so, um, so we can pray for them today, just uh, this first Mother's Day uh, without mom. Uh, and there's others in our congregation that have that experience, and so we just want to be sensitive to that and pray for that as well. And so I want to pray for the Borvigs and for moms, and I want to pray for our 11 o'clock service, because Mother's Day also represents a shift in our uh, COVID protocols and our precautions that we've been taking. And so the 11 o'clock service is mask optional. And you go, whoa, wait a second, I didn't hear that. We tried to communicate that far and wide. That was announced at the business meeting. Um, If you do want to just get up and leave and come back at 11 so you can take off your mask, I won't be offended. Um, but, uh, but this is a step that, that feels just a little risky because it introduces a new sense of division among us. Now, now that's not what it's about. We're not trying to be divisive, but I, I think there's a risk of divisiveness in this where attitudes and actions and affections can, can really get in there and, and start to try, drive a wedge. So I want to just start praying for the other service, that we would just stay unified as we take this next step, as we move forward, and there will be other steps to come. And uh, we'll see how quickly we take those steps. Uh, we'll communicate along the way. But this is where we're at right now. And I just want to pray that we stay together on the journey. So would you just pray with me uh, this morning? Father, uh, we do come to your word. And Father, I do pray that by your spirit you would meet us in your word, Lord. That is where we find our true hope. The message of the gospel that in Jesus Christ there is life. And so, Father, we lift up the Borvigs today, and Lord, I just pray that they would have a a keen sense of that reality, that they would have a keen sense of the hope that Gail had. And Lord, I thank you for their hope. I pray that that would not waver even when waves of grief come, Father. We thank you for the wonder of the gospel that we have life both now and forevermore, that death is no longer an obstacle for us, that you've overcome it, that it has no sting, that it is not a defining factor in our eternal life. 
So we give you praise for that. And Father, I want to lift up mothers today. I I pray that they would know a special sense of your love today. Father, I believe you love mothers. We see that in your son, that he honored his earthly mother to the very end of his life. Lord, bless them today. Care for them today. Meet them where they're at today. And Father, I pray for our fellowship. And Lord, we take a step today and we're excited about that. We're moving forward and we're glad. And yet, Lord, there's risk. This whole journey through a pandemic has been fraught with trouble. And so, Lord, I just pray against that in Jesus' name. I pray that you would keep us unified as we take these steps. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for how it will speak to our lives. And Father, I do pray again that you would guide us now in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. Well, we're in our series on shared member values. We're just tracking along, and our pattern has been to spend a month on each of these values. And so we've looked at affirmation. We looked at grace. We took a little reprieve for Easter. We're looking at humility. Then next month, we're going to take a little reprieve because I'm going to be on vacation for several weeks. I'm going to take all of my vacation in one fell swoop. Sorry. Just going to do it. Feel like we need it this year, and so we're just going to be gone for about three weeks um, I'm excited for what you have during those three weeks because Philip, uh, Philip, Philip, because I'm going to get him to change his name, but you know him as Stuart Patterson, so I don't know where Philip came from, uh, but he's, uh, he's writing a commentary on Mark, so if you haven't gotten to know Stuart yet, um, just know his name's not Philip. Um, but uh, he was, he's been a pastor for a long time. He's recently retired, but he's writing a commentary on Mark, and uh, he's going to be preaching out of some of those notes. So I'm really excited for you all and what you're going to experience through Stuart's preaching. I think he's a gifted preacher and uh, just has really good insight into the Word, and so I'm excited for those weeks uh, for a number of reasons. So uh, June, it'll be uh, Mark um, with Stuart and not Philip. <laughs> And uh, then July, we'll jump back into our shared member values with trust, and uh, then we'll just keep moving through the summer. So uh, we're in Philippians chapter 2-ish. That means I want to get a running start, and we're going to go through verse 18. And and we're in our shared member value of humility. And so we just want to look at humility as the core theme of this text today, which I think is very clearly the core theme of the text this morning. In fact, there's a a really well-known passage about Jesus' humility right in the center of our text, though I don't think that is Paul's main point. Paul's using Jesus as an illustration about humility, and so I want to try to get at uh, three things this morning. I want to try to get at Paul's why and is how, and is what. So I don't know if you've heard of Simon Sinek. He's one of these people in our modern culture who has made millions of dollars by saying things that when he says them, you just go, well, of course, why didn't I think of that? 
And, and, and I don't know why other people get to do that, and I haven't gotten to do that, but that's okay. Um, so he's just said, uh, you start with why. If you want to look at successful companies or you want to look at successful programs, you start with why. And so I want to start with why this morning and frame it around this idea of humility. Why humility or what motivates us to humility? Okay, what keeps us pursuing that in our lives? How, what is the means then by which we pursue that? What, what is the helpful steps that we can take to pursue humility in our life? And then what's the manifestation of that? We needed three M's. That big word manifestation just means the visual result or the perceptible outcome of these things. So I want to start with the why. Now the thing with why is it can easily be confused with what because we get we get drawn to the, the tangible thing, okay? Here's the product that, that we want to give you, and, and we, can, we can make that our motivation. We just want to make this thing. We want to just do this outcome, and yet uh, when we have that perspective, when we try to get through life being motivated by the what, we, we end up missing a lot of things. And so I want to read the bookends of our text, and then I want to just kind of keep working toward the middle, and uh, look for our why, our how, and our what in regards to humility this morning. So let's start uh, chapter 1, verse 27. So right at the end of chapter 1, Paul's just building out his argument as he's getting toward humility, which is the core theme of our text. But But he starts to talk about the what's and the why's. And we have to be careful that we actually get to the why through these what's. So let's, let's see what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, I, I just want to pause for a second and say, this is a fantastic what that can be confused as a why. We can get motivated by standing firm in our faith. We can be motivated by serving side by side, striving together for the glory of Christ. Now, that's not a bad why. It just doesn't stand the test of time. It has to have a deeper motivation. And so Paul continues on. He goes, okay, don't get stuck right there. Let's keep going. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, Paul says it's, it's a great thing to be pursuing this courageous striving together, standing firm in one faith with one mind. That's, that, that could be a good motivation, but I'll tell you what, when hard things come, when the trials like Paul has faced that we'll get into in just a minute, the trials that Paul has faced, that's not going to see you through all the way. So Paul continues. He comes to the other side of our text through his argument about humility, but he gets to verse 12 in chapter 2. And he says, Therefore, my beloved, 
As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. So again, Paul's saying, here's some good things going on here. I want you to be obedient. I, I want you to move forward in such a way that people can see the work of God in you. But that's not your core motivation. You have to keep digging a little deeper. And so he goes on. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. So this is interesting to me that in the ESV, um, I find grumbling and questioning in my text. But in an updated ESV, it says grumbling and disputing. And I think that word disputing is an interesting word. I think it's a better word because questioning isn't necessarily bad. It's when we start arguing about our opinion on the answer that gets us off track. So do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, I like the NIV because it actually says that you shine like stars in the world. And that's a more vivid picture to me. And again, we could go, well, this is our why, our why, our motivation is so that we will shine like stars. But Paul's not done yet. He goes one step further and he uses a key phrase that should be this this beacon of, hey, here is the why. So that. I love this phrase. In Scripture, it always denotes an action or a core motivation. It, It points us to, hey, this is what we're really supposed to be shooting for. That's why for children and youth, we've just been kind of walking through an outline every month of God is, you are, we are, so that. And that's what we want to continue to shoot for. So here's Paul's motivation. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here's Paul's ultimate why. Jesus is coming back. That's what drives Paul. He always has that in view. He keeps moving forward because he knows one of these days, and he believes this with all of his heart, that one of these days Jesus is actually coming back. Now, I I wonder, is that your driving motivation today? How often do you kind of frame your day around, if Jesus came back today, I'd want him to find me doing and fill in the blank? How often do we think from that perspective? That perspective dominated Paul's thinking. So when he is talking to the Philippians now, these people who he's been with, he's helped plant this church, he's loved them. And he's talking with them now. He goes, man, I am so eager for Jesus to come. But when he comes, I want him to find that you're in a really good and healthy spiritual place. 
I want him to find us all doing the things that he's wanted us to do. It's interesting um, how often that theme of being judged for our works is actually present in Scripture. Now, I want to try to be clear here that our eternal salvation is a free gift from God that is all on His grace toward us. And yet, we hear over and over in Scripture that when Jesus comes again, there will be judgment for everybody based on what we've done, based on our actions and attitudes and affections. So we could look at Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Okay, this is, this is happening in our lives, and it will happen when Jesus comes. Jeremiah 32.19, the prophet in prayer describes God as giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So when Jesus comes again, there is going to be this judgment, this accounting of our deeds. And so Paul goes, in light of that, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, I want you to be about the right things. This should drive your life. This should be your core motivation. That Jesus is coming back. Now, Uh, I don't want us to hear that and then to go, okay, so we're supposed to be afraid of Jesus coming back? No, 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 that's not what Paul is saying. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. So if we go back to chapter 2, verse 1, here's what Paul's saying. He says, you don't need to be afraid unless you don't really know who Jesus is. So again, I, I would just ask, if you, if you hear that Jesus is coming back again and you kind of go, uh-oh, I might be in trouble. I just encourage you have, you. have you really known Jesus? Because here's how Paul kind of sets this up. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's saying, okay, if you're driven by this motivation that Jesus is coming back, you have to put it in the context of who Jesus is. Because Jesus isn't somebody to be afraid of. He's somebody to be responded to because he's so, so good. Now, again, in a couple of other translations, they translate the if here as since. But I think that kind of takes out this question that we need to ask ourselves. If we have experienced encouragement in Christ. Well, have you? So I I just think of Paul's life As he's writing this letter, I can't help but to think that he's kind of reflecting on how the church at Philippi came to be. 
So in Acts chapter 16, we get the story of the church of Philippi. Paul, he's been out on his missionary journey, and he's tried to go many different places, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to go over to Macedonia through this vision of a Macedonian man. Philippi is the foremost city of Macedonia. So going to Philippi is Paul's response to the good gift that God goes, hey, I'm going to direct you. I'm going to give you direction because you're, you're working to live out your life in light of the fact that Jesus is going to come again. Paul is so compelled by that reality that he's traveled pretty much the known world and he's trying to get to every place possible to tell people about Jesus. And God goes, hey, I'm going to steer you over here with purpose. And so he goes to Philippi and they start to preach. He and Silas are preaching in Philippi and they meet this lady, Lydia, and uh, she believes their message. She comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and she's a, a fairly wealthy woman. She's a seller of purple cloths, and she says, hey, why don't you use my house as your church home base? You think that would have been encouraging to Paul? Do you think that as he's following Christ into an unknown place to find a friendly person of means that says, hey, let me help you with this, do you think that would be encouraging to Paul? I do. I I think that they probably responded with, wow, look at this generosity that Christ is opening up in this town. This is so encouraging that we're just continuing on. Paul had experienced the goodness of Christ in the encouragement of Christ. Any comfort from love. And do you think Paul was ever comforted by the love of Christ? Well, we, we get a sense of that just in the next story of Acts 16. There's this slave girl who has a demon inside of her that gives her the power to uh, know things that she shouldn't know. And so her masters sell her out to tell the future to other people. And as Paul and Silas travel around, they're preaching, and she's following them, and she just keeps crying out, hey, listen to these guys, they know what they're talking about. Listen to these guys, they know what they're talking about. Listen, 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 listen. Finally, Paul turns around, he goes, be quiet! And he casts out the demon. And, and now, all of a sudden, those masters are pretty angry because their little prophet girl is gone. And so they, they have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. Now, I, I don't know what happened in the jail cell. Okay, but Paul's in chains. They're, they're strung up, and yet they're singing hymns. Okay, they're, they're, they're singing. They're rejoicing. I, I don't know, but I think he's been comforted by the love of Christ that he goes, you know what? We're okay here. We can endure this because we know that Jesus loves us. And then there's this crazy working, this just this series of events, and all of a sudden, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, comes to know Jesus. Okay, it's an incredibly bold story, but there's this participation in the Spirit because Paul is just walking by the Spirit and he sees God do an incredible thing, so much so that the whole family of the jailer is saved. 
It's remarkable, and, and Paul's just going, I, I've lived this. There's encouragement in Christ. There's comfort from his love. There's participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Wow, the people of God surround them. There's just this beautiful church that's filled with joy in Philippi, and they go on to support Paul's ministry for years and years and years, so much so that he's writing them from prison again. There's this partnership between them. There's affection between them. There's sympathy between them. Paul has experienced that. And so he goes, I I don't look forward to Jesus coming because I know I'm going to be held to account, though that's part of it. He goes, I look forward to Jesus coming and giving an account because Jesus has been so good to me. So it reminds me of the story of The talons in Matthew 25. A master, a good master, comes and he gives good gifts to his servants. And he says, hey, take care of these while I'm gone. And then he comes back and he asks for a report. It's not because he's mean and cruel. No, he's shrewd. He knows the deal. But he's blessed them with the ability to multiply. And so he comes back longing to see what those servants have done. And Paul goes, oh, on that day when Jesus comes again, I want you to be able to go, look, Jesus, at all we've done with the good things you've given us. Oh, that that would be our motivation. That we would see the good gifts of God as the investment for his kingdom that we are to steward and then we can joyfully give an account for. That's Paul's why. That's what keeps him moving. That's what fuels his life and his humility. So, now, the how. What is the means of humility? We, we have the why. It's because Jesus is coming again. Now, the how. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. He goes, here's the how. Live humbly. Consider others' interests. Okay, and and it's in, in, in a couple of translations, it says, and also consider their interests. This is not really in most texts in the original form. He's saying, hey, you know what? You put your interests aside so that you can actually favor and pay attention and serve other people's interests. That's humility that you, in response to the goodness of Christ, knowing that he's coming again, that you put your interests aside and you move forward to serve other people. Man, how do you do that? Because I find that very challenging. My interests are like right here in front of my face all the time. Okay, I, I, I balance my budget. I don't balance yours. That puts my interests right here. I've raised my kids. I'm not raising yours. That puts my interests right here. We're always bombarded with our own interests. So how in the world... Do we overcome that so that we can put others' 
interests ahead of ours. Verse 5, I think this is the key verse in this text. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, you want to know how to be humble? Take on the mind of Christ. Have you ever encountered someone where you just go, wow, you really have a mind for that? Like a mind for math or numbers? You know, people that you can just kind of go, hey, you know, what's the square root of uh, 347,563? And they're like, "Ah, 36. I, I don't know if that's true because I don't have a mind to do that. You know, we have some people in our congregation, like John Goodwin, Mark Hoffman, that just have a mind for music. Like, I don't know how that happens, because it doesn't happen in my mind. Okay, and so they have an aptitude for those things. What Paul is saying in this verse is we have an aptitude for spiritual things. When we come to Jesus Christ, when we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, what we have is spiritual aptitude. So here's one thing I want you to hear this morning. You have the mind of Christ. You've been given that. You have an aptitude for spiritual things. Now that's different than before you came to Christ. You didn't have a mind for spiritual things. You had no appetite for spiritual things. You had no aptitude to understand spiritual things. But in Christ, now you have the aptitude. Now, um, if Mark Hoffman never practiced, his aptitude probably would only get him so far, right? And so he can have an aptitude for playing trumpet, for thinking musically, but if he never puts that into practice, it's only going to go so far. So here's the reality. We have spiritual aptitude In Christ, we're given the Spirit. We have the ability to understand spiritual things, but we also have to practice that. That means that we can come to this book trusting and anticipating and even counting on that the Spirit is going to illuminate it to us. And we might even go, wow, that's amazing, and we chalk that up to some mental knowledge about the Word or about Jesus or about God. But if we never put that into practice, it only gets us so far. Here's the thing about humility. Paul says, hey, you want to live humbly, which is really the the how to get you to the the end well so that when Jesus comes back, you can can go look at what I've done with with what you've given me. That really is putting aside our own interests and putting uh, the other's interests ahead of ours because at the day, Jesus is going to go, what did you you do with what I gave you? Man, I served people just like you. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. How do we do that? With humility. By, by taking on this attitude, this characteristic of humility. How do we do that? We believe that we have the mind of Christ. And so we come to the word anticipating, counting on that the Spirit of God is going to illuminate it to us. Because we have an aptitude. But if we're only hearers of the word and we never become doers of the word something's wrong. And so to have the mind of Christ is combining the tensions of hearing the word and doing the word. 
It's believing that we have the aptitude given to us by Christ, but actually putting that aptitude in motion. So as we read and understand Scripture and then live it out in our lives, it develops this mind of Christ in us that results in humility. Because now all of a sudden we're thinking like Jesus. And we're living like Jesus because we're living in light of what he's revealed. As we grow in the mind of Christ, we will begin to live in humility like Christ. So Paul goes on in verse 6, he says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so here's his illustration. He says, you want to see humility in action? You want to see how the mind of Christ actually plays out to bring about humility in your life? Just look at Jesus. There's a comparison, a contrasting here where he says, hey, you shouldn't do anything out of selfishness or conceit. Okay, selfishness is to make yourself look better or to benefit yourself, and, and vain conceit or conceit is, is looking better than you are. You can't really back up how good you look. And so he goes, hey, but Jesus, look at this, contrast this to your life. Jesus is the one who had everything. Like, he didn't need to be selfish because he had it all. And if anybody could back up his glory, if anybody could come on the scene and go, yes, I am all that, it's Jesus. But he didn't do that. He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Hmm. Serving others. Jesus went, you know what? My interest, I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve your interests. I'm going to come to you in such a way that you can understand where life comes from. So it's not that we just become subservient to other people's interests and needs. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus had a vision. He knew that one day he's coming back. Okay, he, he knew one day he was going to bring all that come to faith to him, to the Father. He was going to lead this glorious parade of those who have been saved. And he said, so for your best interest, I'm going to serve you. It's not that we just capitulate to people's interests. It's that we serve their best interest. And we discern that through the word being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. There's two words in those verses that jumped out to me. He emptied himself or made himself nothing by becoming a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Both of those words are words of humility. 
to empty yourself is to put yourself to the side. And he did that by becoming a servant. To humble yourself is to put yourself below. And he did that by becoming obedient even to the point of death. The result is pretty glorious. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Our why? It's because Jesus is coming again. And he's just going to ask lovingly ask, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you so many good things. Did you put them to good use? Did you serve other people? Were you obedient? Man, how do we do that? We take on the mind of Christ, believing that we have spiritual aptitude and can understand spiritual things, and then we put them into practice. We actually live them out. So let's look back at the what. Because there is a what, and it's important. But the what is the manifestation of the why and the how. So as we focus on Jesus coming again, as we implement this mind of Christ, what should be the evidence that people see? Unity and impact. That's why this is one of our shared member values, because we believe that God wants his people to live in unity, to work together, to bring about the kingdom of God. And so we go, what leads us to to unity but humility? So the litmus test is that when we get together as the people of God, there is a firmness in us. We're standing firm. We're working side by side. That means we're working together in in perfect concert. We're actually really effective in our working together. It means that we have this courageous obedience. Okay, we're just going to keep after Jesus. We're going to keep following Jesus. We're going to work out our salvation together. That means that we're going to actually have some hard conversations. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to call out sin. We're going to just speak into each other's lives without grumbling and dispute. And if we do all of that, if we're motivated by Jesus coming again, if we can see how having the mind of Christ leads us to humility, service, and obedience, and that plays out with us together, we're going to shine like stars. I didn't take this photo, but I've stood on the shore of that lake. It's Maroon Bells Lake in Colorado. And I stood on that shore after a night much like that picture where you just look up at the stars and it's just like, wow. But here's what's so captivating by a sky like that. One star is not that captivating. But when there's a bunch of stars an innumerable number of stars that are shining so bright that you're just captivated. God gets glory. God is exalted when together we're shining like stars. 
so that when the world looks in on our families, when the world looks in on our church, when, when the world looks in on the church, it just goes, wow! But I'm not sure that the world's looking at us like that very often. So I'm praying that we'll grow in humility. Because if we want to shine like stars, if we want to stand firm in our faith, if we want to serve side by side, if we want to courageously obey, we have to have humility. And humility comes through this mind of Christ as we pursue the word, believing we can understand it and obey it, motivated by the reality that Jesus is coming again. So again, like last week, it's this willingness to examine, correct, and direct our own actions, attitudes, and affections according to the scriptures so that with increasing consistency, we exalt Christ and serve one another. What's your why? What's your how? And what's the result of that? Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for a compelling why. Lord, we're uh, maybe even more eager than ever before for Jesus to come back. And Lord, as we think about that, as, as we think about that day when Jesus does come back because he is coming back, I pray that we would become more motivated by the reality that we're going to give an account. Not because you're mean, but because you've entrusted so much to us, Lord. Help us to steward that well with humility, Lord, having the mind of Christ growing in us that together we may shine brightly in this crooked and perverse generation. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.